When the CO2 rises in a room to a thousand parts per million, which in a room like we're in now is very easy for that to happen, that is the equivalent for your cognitive performance of having two pints of beer. So you imagine in a boardroom setting where multi-million pound decisions are being made, everyone is effectively half cut. Welcome to Racing Green, the podcast that explores the ideas, innovations, and influences making waves in the journey towards a sustainable future for our planet. In each episode, we'll investigate the new challenges, ingenious solutions, and the undiscovered opportunities that lie at the heart of our rapidly changing world. We aim to accelerate a new era founded on optimism and impactful collective responsibility. In today's episode, we sit down with Francesca Brady and Niall Ingham of Aerated, a rapidly growing air quality certification company that's tackling one of the most immediate threats to global society, airborne contaminants. As the world continues to reel from the effects of COVID-19, never has there been a more pertinent time to consider how air quality impacts our daily lives, both at the office and at home. And as I found out, the incredible implications it can have on our decision-making as well. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. The first one. Yes. Thank you for having us. Tell us a little bit about what Aerated is and how did it come about? So Aerated, our tagline is the global benchmark for indoor air quality. So I think over the past decade, there's been a lot of emphasis on outdoor air quality. And there are loads of initiatives. So by 2030, there's going to be a ban on new diesel and, and uh, petrol cars uh, and a move to electric. So there are loads of great initiatives, uh, loads of focus on outdoor air quality. But indoor air quality has kind of been forgotten and overlooked, despite the fact we spend 90% of our lives working and living indoors. So it was kind of, a, it was a joint venture between a smart buildings platform who have the tech and can collate data and a healthy buildings consultancy firm. So the two came together and then gave birth to Aerated. So Aerated is a building certification. So it essentially translates in a really simple and effective way the health of your indoor environment. And who's the team behind Aerated? Yeah, so it's a team of techies. So all the guys and girls who get all of that data up into a cloud platform, and then environmental scientists and property people. So quite an eclectic mix. Uh, we all get on very well. Excellent. Well, yeah, it's, it certainly sounds like there's a lot of tech in your business. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and what kind of you know, clients would you aspire to work for or, or are you working for? What, what is the typical sort of job? Sure. Um, so a bit of a mix, really. But um, typically at the moment, we're working with um, private developers and landlords in commercial and residential buildings. But also we do do a lot of work in the public sector as well. So one of our first clients was the Met Office, for instance. And that's something we're really keen to foster that relationship so we can continue to raise that awareness around indoor air quality. 
A little bit about your background, Niall. You know, how did you get into this uh, green tech world? <laughs> <laughs> Muscle this way in. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So I'm trying to bridge the gap between the old school property world and what we do at Aerated. Um, so my background is from property. Um, I've been working in commercial property for the last 10 years and as a, a leasing agent for office buildings. But then in my last role, I was, um, I was managing a large tower in the city. And that's sort of where I sort of faced it first, first of all, really, this issue that we're facing around indoor air quality, because I was coming into contact with a lot of people within the building who, who on the face of it are in a shiny tall tower, but actually were having, you know, um, they were having, having issues around their air quality and how it was affecting their working day. Wow. And Francesca, what, yes. what brought you to the environmental so, sector? <laughs> yeah. So bizarrely, um, at university, I studied environmental science and specialised in indoor air quality, which at the time was super niche. But 2020 has pretty much been the year for indoor air quality, particularly with its associations with COVID transmission and contraction. Um, so I started working at a smart buildings prop tech firm. Um, it was a startup, so nice, nice small team. I uh, started working there. They are a platform that aggregate data from lots of different sources. So building management systems, occupancy sensors, and one of the sensors was an indoor air quality sensor. So monitored CO2, which impacts our productivity, uh, temperature, humidity, which impacts our health and well-being, and our comfort. So they were gathering all this data from uh, these sensors for indoor air quality. And then apart from just showing them as heat maps on a floor plan, so you could see hot and cold spots and decided where you want to sit, and line graphs, it wasn't quite, it was making it meaningful, but not meaningful enough to the end user. So I think that's where air rated, again, like fills a gap, is making it relatable to an end user. Because apart from a property management team, an FM team, looking at that data and sort of knowing already what they're looking at, if you are just an employee looking at this data, it doesn't mean anything to you. So we wanted to effectively uh, communicate the benefits health-wise and also productivity-wise. Okay. This is quite technical and, yes. and obviously there's um, – <laughs> so I, I, what, I, what I love, you know, perhaps Niall, I wonder if you could tell us about the 101 of, of air quality. What things are we measuring? What, you know, um, so two things we're, we're kind of looking out for here really is – how it's affecting our health and how it's affecting our productivity. And those are the two sort of benchmarks within our standard of what we're looking to try and improve. So Francesca could probably elaborate on this a little bit more, but we're monitoring five fundamental parameters, um, which is CO2, temperature and humidity, PM2.5 and TVOCs. So CO2, which is the first one we talked about, is most relevant for our productivity. There have been a number of studies carried out at Harvard University by Professor Joseph Allen, and they looked at replicating a series of office-based tasks with different levels of CO2. And what they found was when the CO2 was increased, the performance in these office-based tasks was reduced. So great example we like to use, which very relevant to a property audience, is that when the CO2 rises in a room to a thousand parts per million, which in a room like we're in now is very easy for that to happen, that is the equivalent for your cognitive performance of having two pints of beer. So you imagine in a boardroom setting where multi-million pound decisions are being made, 
everyone is effectively half cut. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, there was a daytime drinking ban at Lloyd's. Obviously, people would go out at lunchtime and have a couple of pints of beer and then come back and make quite poor decisions. So there's a disconnect between the seriousness that is put on that versus our indoor environments, because it's having the same impact on our cognitive performance and our productivity as alcohol, but it's just, yeah, not seen in the same way. So what causes CO2 to rise in a, in a, in a, in a sort of an indoor environment? In indoors, the levels are driven by how many people are in a room? Because respiration, so us breathing, okay. humans and animals breathing, releases CO2. Okay. Um, and if a building is poorly ventilated, then you can get really high levels. And at the moment, CO2 is being monitored in real time in buildings to identify COVID risk hotspots because they can identify areas that are poorly ventilated and enhanced ventilation as a risk mitigation procedure for the transmission of COVID at the moment. So it can identify places where there are lots of people, but also where there are poorly ventilated areas. Great. So CO2 is one. What are, what are the others that we're measuring? While we're on the productivity front, the other things that we measure are temperature and humidity. So temperature, obviously people experience that in different ways, but there is an optimum range. And when you get to above 25 degrees Celsius, every degree increase above 25, there is a 2% drop off in productivity, roughly. Humidity is also extremely topical at the moment um, because of COVID. And with humidity, when it becomes too dry, it dries out your mucous membranes. And that makes you more susceptible to picking up bugs and viruses. So very topical at the moment because of COVID. Also, we've had that in our standard for a long time because we know COVID isn't the first virus. It's not going to be the last. But again, to put it in context, that's why on aeroplanes, everyone complains of getting ill when they come off a plane. and the filtration systems are actually really good on planes. Um, they're quite high-grade HEPA filters usually, but it's because the humidity is dry. So everyone in close proximity easily picks up bugs and then they get ill. So particulate matter, uh, to PM 2.5, um, which is very fine dust. Um, so this is 2.5 nanometers in diameter, and this is... Micrometers. Micrometers. The scientist is getting involved here. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. Okay, we've got a scientist on board. Here. I right. think you'll find. I'm very conscious now that I am usually in I'm my speaking territory. on behalf okay. of Francesca's area. So I'm going to segue over to Francesca. Okay, now. let's do that. Speaking of racing green, stay on your lane. <laughs> yeah, so PM2.5 is particulate matter, so solid or liquid, that is really fine. It's to make it more relatable, it's 3% of the width of a human hair. So invisible to the naked eye. And this could be things like construction dust, or if you're on the tube, the tube breaks and kicks up really fine metal particles from breaking. But it could also be uh, pet dander and pollen. This kind of thing can get really deep into the lungs and into the bloodstream. It aggravates conditions like asthma and COPD, so respiratory conditions. So for a lot of our residential clients, they quite like the storytelling angle because they want to communicate the message to their residents. For them, it's vitally important to be able to say, we have built this building in a way that has really low levels of this fine dust. So if you are sensitive to allergies, asthma, COPD, 
then this is the place you want to be. Well, it all seems so relevant to this kind of current era of COVID and respiration. Yeah, it really does. With PM 2.5 and its association with COVID, if you're exposed to high levels for a long period of time, it can degrade your lung function. So if you were to contract COVID, your health outcomes are going to be poorer and your recovery rate is going to be slower. This is really important. And as Niall said, COVID's not the first or last virus, unfortunately. So this is equally as poignant when you're talking about chronic respiratory conditions, cardiovascular disease, but even the common cold and flu. So how do we measure particle matter? So there are lots of different ways you can, very sciencey. The particular sensor that we use is a laser scatter particle counter. So essentially, it is just a laser beam that can quantify how much dust is in the environment. Uh, won't make it any more technical than that, because I know. Yeah, for my little brain. <laughs> so, so, and what's the level of, of kind of acceptability for dust? So the World Health Organization actually say that there is no safe level for PM2.5 because it's so harmful. But they've set a guideline at 10 micrograms per cubic meter. In office environments, we tend to see levels below four, so really good, but that's because they tend to be mechanically ventilated and mechanical ventilation systems do have really good filtration on them. So we see slightly higher levels in residential environments that are naturally ventilated and even schools. So these are the types of places where we need to implement other forms of buffer that aren't just the walls and the windows of the building. So things like green barriers. So I know a lot of schools, they put like a row of bushes uh, against the main road. So it buffers against what is being ingested into the school. And then the final one is TVOCs. So it stands for Total Volatile Organic Compounds, which is a bit of a mouthful. Essentially, it means chemicals. So these are things that you can ordinarily smell. And they are, the term is off-gassing. So they are released from new furniture and carpets and paints. So all that stuff, you ho- you know that notorious smell of new paint being put on the walls. That's TVOCs. And they're irritants. So they cleaning can... Cleaning products as well? Yes, cleaning products. And that is actually uh, a major quick win for a lot of our clients because there is still the tendency to use quite potent cleaning chemicals when actually there are eco ones out there that are great for the environment, but also don't compromise indoor air quality and don't release these chemicals into the environment because they can really irritate um, eyes and airways. I'd love to understand this connection between the indoors and the outdoors and, and how that sort of affects air quality. So it is such an interesting relationship um, that hasn't really been explored as much as it should have done, but there are definitely programs that are looking at the, it's called the indoor-outdoor continuum, but it basically just means the relationship between the outdoor air quality and the indoor air quality. You're right that the indoors doesn't influence the outdoors as such, but our buildings do influence outdoor air quality because there's a lot of combustion that goes on indoors, whether that's for heating, cooking, and then that releases pollutants in itself because it's the burning of fossil fuels. So that's the thing that will generate Uh, compounds like carbon dioxide, which is a greenhouse gas, but also nitrogen dioxide, sulfur dioxide, which are the ones that are really harmful for our health. 
the outdoor environment tends to heavily influence what's going on inside, particularly when it comes to temperature and those levels of fine dust that we were speaking about earlier. But also we've seen cases where, like for an example, uh, there's a building in Brussels where they've got really high levels of nitrogen dioxide outside. But there's no mandate to put anything on the building systems to buffer against these really high levels of, and NO2 is a traffic, a traffic pollutant. So we see really high levels here as well, particularly along Marlebone Road and those sorts of areas. So we suggested to a client of ours in Brussels that they future-proof their building by putting these very specialised filters, they're called carbon filters, on their ventilation system, which breaks down these NOx gases released by traffic fumes. So for them, at the moment, it's not mandatory, but like everything that's harmful for us, it'll probably become a mandatory measure in the future. So they've kind of got ahead of the game. So at the moment, it's a USP for their building, but further down the line, it's going to be, ah, yeah, we've actually done that already. So we've got a resilient, future-proof building. And, and what would you recommend to uh, you know, a, a layperson, someone listening, uh, maybe a household, of what they can do to improve air quality at home? So many things. I would say to start with, monitoring the indoor environment is actually a really key part. And there are lots of consumer-grade devices, really intuitive things, and they'll send you data to your phone so you can just check on an app. And it's really nice because you kind of get control back about your indoor setting because you can control what you eat, what you drink. But when it comes to what you're breathing, you have very little control over it. But things you can do to help and sort of top tips that we like to give, particularly to people in homes, is if you don't have a tumble dryer and you're air drying your clothes, make sure that you ventilate your space. And I think ventilation is actually one of the key things because our buildings are increasingly airtight to sort of fit the sustainability motive for a lot of people. So making them more energy efficient. But because we're making them more airtight, there's very little ventilation and there's very little dilution of the pollutants that are building up inside. Whether this is PM 2.5 that's released from uh, burning of candles, burning of incense, cooking on gas stoves, or nitrogen dioxide, which again is released from cooking on gas stoves. So there are lots of things that are building up. Ventilation is key. And I know it's coming into winter and people really don't want to be opening their windows. But most homes have trickle ventilation. So they are small slats above the window. And if you just open them overnight, when levels of pollutants are really low outdoors, because there's no traffic really, then it's a really good way to sort of bring everything down to low levels of uh, chemicals and pollutants. So that's really good. Um, just best practice use of space. So being really aware of the types of cleaning chemicals you're using. So that is applicable to a commercial environment, but also to a residential environment. Um, and then I know people, particularly in winter, love it to be cosy and love candles and open fires. But these are particularly bad culprits for bad indoor air quality. But again, like I, there are some things that I won't give up, which is, you know, that feeling of coziness and cooking a roast and then having an open fire. They're, they're great things. Um, so I'd never get rid of them. But best practice use of space is just ventilate the space. So you can still have them, but you can also not have to suffer the effects of having them. Great. That's a that's really pragmatic yeah. advice uh, for anyone. Yeah. Monitor, ventilate, ventilate yeah. and, make and also sure you remove chemicals. Yeah. And with um, if you're getting new furniture, it's really great to buy secondhand. 
because then you don't have that off-gassing problem. So one, you're you're doing a good thing because you're not contributing to the waste culture, but also you're bringing something into your home that has already experienced that period of off-gassing. So it's bringing something nice. So in. what um curious um question here so this off-gassing i mean I've, I've never heard of it but it, i mean it makes sense um you know if we were to buy a you know a sofa from a well-known swedish <laughs> <laughs> yes. company who shall remain nameless um what, what, what would the off-gassing period be from you know or them or any other reputable furniture supplier <laughs> of course what is a typical time that uh, is it weeks? Is it months? Is it? Uh... So it can vary. And it's all down to the type of material that you're bringing into your space. So with natural products, they don't experience any off-gassing because they are 100% natural. Um, as soon as you start adding manufactured or synthetic materials, then if it's quite uh, cheap, if it's quite a cheap product, it can take up to a couple of months to fully off-gas. Um, so buying either really high quality or natural products is best. And actually, Niall has quite a nice story about um, TVOCs and furniture. Yeah, so when, in my old job, uh, we were putting all the all the reception areas of the office building, um, we were redoing all the furniture in there. And we were thinking about the well-being angle when we were doing all this. And we had a realisation halfway through the procurement process that actually, is there a chance that some of this furniture is going to have TVOCs and it's going to be off-gassing into the reception? So as a little way around it, we were able to arrange with the furniture suppliers to have the furniture left at the warehouse for another couple of weeks so it did its off-gassing there. Um, and then by the time it came to the building, it was safe to go in and people weren't going to have to have to experience those effects, which was a great, easy little thing to be able to do because we'd had that arrangement with the furniture company with with no additional cost. Well, that's amazing. I mean, the, the things that we, you know, the, the general consumer and the general person setting up an office would have no clue about, really. The, the other one I quite like that's changed recently is um, about new, new car smell, which seems completely um, harmless. But the new car smell, unfortunately, as delicious smelling as it is, is TVOCs, and that's the car off-gassing. So there's now recently been a change in EU law so that um, the either the materials used in the car can't have that off-gassing ability or the car has to be off-gassed completely before it leaves the factory. Um, so much better for our health, but sadly we're not going to get wow. that new car smell anymore. Yeah, sad. <laughs> Never had the luxury of getting a new car, actually. Neither have I. <laughs> but I. That's fine, you're doing it for your health. <laughs> My son is begging me to get a Tesla. <laughs> and you can tell him now we can't do that, it's for your own health. <laughs> yeah. At a sort of a higher level, what, what are the, the barriers facing air quality in urban areas like London? What would your advice be to the, the administration here or the, the mayor of London? How can we solve some of the air issues that we have in the city? So I think we are starting to get it now because before when there was a big shift from petrol cars to diesel cars, it was because when there's combustion of petrol, it releases lots of greenhouse gases, which is forcing climate change and this climate crisis but actually, the move to diesel cars and the combustion of diesel release lots of NOx gases, which is really bad for our health. So one of them's killing our planet and slowly killing us, and then the other one is very quickly killing us. So I think there was probably not enough thought or probably just not enough knowledge that 
by moving that way, so moving in a sustainability way, we were completely compromising our health. But now, obviously, there is the ban, the 2030 ban on all new petrol and diesel cars. So we're starting to get it and there's going to be a move to electric. But again, with electric, the electricity needs to come from somewhere, which would probably be power stations. And then you've got the combustion of fossil fuels that happen there. So I think there needs to be a big shift towards renewable energy because that is where we need to be getting this power source from for electric cars. And we need to be thinking with the bigger picture in mind because a lot of the time there are solutions for one problem that actually sometimes create a different one. So we're moving in the right direction. Um, but I would say like there just needs to be a bit more help and collaboration and funding for companies who are creating that change already. Great. Well, Aerated is definitely one of those companies yeah, I'm just working say, towards we... <laughs> creating that change. Now, as as sort of an entrepreneurial uh, company, young people out there building something that's very progressive, what are the sort of the lessons that you, you've already learned along the way and, and had maybe sort of had to change gears or, or focus on less or focus on more? What, what are the learnings of the first, you know, couple of years of, of Aerated? I think maybe the two big ones, for me anyway, um, the first would be generating awareness and education is a massive thing because indoor air quality has been an unknown to so many people for such a long time that we're coming in in a completely unknown industry. And it's a little bit scary to people because they're like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to know. Um, but we're like, no, it's good to know because you can actually do something about it then. But it's also not scaremongering. So the awareness and the education is really important because we don't want people to be worried about it, but we do want it to become the known rather than the unknown because it impacts us so substantially. Um, and then I think the second thing being entrepreneurial is just creating a really strong network. So finding like-minded people, finding champions in, like Niall said, the archaic property industry. There are champions out there. Um and just, yeah, really generating those strong relationships. I mean, we do have a really strong relationship with the Met Office, which is a great one to have. Because, That's pretty handy. Yeah, so <laughs> handy. They've got the outdoor eye covered and we're covering the indoors. Um, so they're the types of people that we love as champions and they will work with us on the R&D front. So yeah, awareness, education, R&D, but also creating that really strong network. There's um, probably two big ones for me, which is the first one is to say yes. Um, early on if a client asks you to do something or you're exploring new stuff always say yes because you never know where it will leave in the early days and when you have the luxury of being busy then you can start saying no <laughs> but early days say yes to as many things as you can um, because you never know where it will lead to and I think my second one is just about getting as much feedback as you can like you need to be so attuned to it and welcome any kind of feedback and once more than two or three people start saying the same thing about something you should change, change it immediately. Great tips, uh, guys. <laughs> we'll let you know if any of them work. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, you're already on the right track, that's for sure. What about COVID? How, how might that have affected your business and all the, or your clients' business? Uh, yeah. Is this an opportunity uh, or is it something that's going to hold you back for a little while? And, and you, know, the, you know, yeah, what's, uh, what's the impact of COVID on your business, positive or negative? So um, a really interesting question. Um, I think my sort of general takeaway from COVID in our industry is 
it's accelerated things that are already coming. Um, so property industry had been a little bit behind on the health and well-being side of things, but it had been starting to build momentum. And COVID has really accelerated that trend um, because of a liability aspect, definitely, but also the demand as well. Um, if you're going to try and get people back into their into their offices, um, obviously we can't at the moment because we're in, in lockdown, but the office and the home are effectively competing now. And for the office to be able to compete, it's got to offer something really compelling, which is a safe, healthy and productive environment that is as good, if not better, than being at home. So in that instance, it, it has been helpful. Um, and air quality has been brought into the, into the spotlight because of the impact with COVID. Um, so that has been really helpful. Um, I'd say the, the disruption negative side it's caused is we haven't got anyone in offices at the moment or very few people. And it's affecting the retail industry very hard, as you guys know. And the relationship between retail and offices is very symbiotic. So if one isn't doing well, the other one will struggle as well. So there is some difficulty there with budgets and getting, you know, getting sign off for work as a lot of other parts of the industry are uh, suffering as well. But for what we do, there is a need. Um, so I think we're in terrible situation, but it has been to some extent beneficial for us. And then the long-term impact. I mean, there's a lot of people saying people may not come back to the same levels of offices. Is that something that you may sort of have to think about in terms of how it could affect your business going forward? I mean, are we are we going to see the end of the office? <laughs> well, hopefully not, um, particularly your office because it's lovely. Um, but I think because we are multi-sector, so we cross over between residential, commercial, public sector, it's going to be fine. There'll just be a different percentage weighting to these things. And it's quite exciting to do resi projects because it's where people live and it's really personal. It's almost like with commercial, it's very, what's the ROI? I want to know the productivity angle, um, which is fine. Um, I think more so now it's going to be the health and well-being. But in residential settings, particularly when we're looking at solutions to problems and how people are actually compromising their own indoor air quality, it's really nice because you can take it away and then apply it to your own living environment. So yeah, residential is... Um, we we do cover it, so I think business wise we will be fine. You mentioned schools there. I'd I'd love yes. to quickly touch on that before we, <laughs> uh, if I were uh, you know, advising a principal of a school or a head teacher, is it the same sort of steps that we that we're talking about for uh, for a household in terms of those three steps? Uh yes, very similar. Um, so ventilate more, eliminate or try and reduce the number of pollutants you are bringing into the environment. So again, with the cleaning fluids. Um, and the new materials. A lot of the things can be applied to all different settings, but just in different ways. Because with the home, you're ventilating space to reduce levels of moisture or levels of pollutants from combustion of cooking. Whereas in a school environment, it's slightly tamer. You're just reducing the pollutants from cleaning fluids and the buildup of gases that are like CO2 from people. Lots of kids and teachers in classrooms together. And I think that's a massive thing because CO2 really needs to be monitored in schools because it impacts productivity. So I think incremental changes early in education are going to have a massive knock-on effect like decades down the line with future generations. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in an era where we actually had lead in our petrol. <laughs> 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 we were worried about petrol, like, and then it was, now we're worried about diesel and, you know, 
crazy. And I think like we're we're learning so much because you're right that all of these things we used to do seem nonsensical. But at the time, there was just a lack of awareness about what was actually in these things. And I mean, even with asbestos that used to be used in insulation, once we found out that that had a significant impact on our respiratory health, there was a blanket ban um, well, in developed countries anyway. And then also with TVOCs, we used to use really potent uh, varnishes and paints. And now there's regulation across the board that you can only have a certain level of VOCs in your paints. So it's gradual and quite slow. Um, COVID is something that has accelerated change, but a lot of the other times it's been quite a slow, slow move to something healthy. Just to finish off, um, how do you both see the future of green industries, green tech? What what are we going to likely to see there from the in the next two to three years, next five years? What's the world going to look like? Big question. So I think there's going to be a massive shift towards sustainability with health and well-being in mind because like I alluded to before there's been a massive emphasis on sustainability so making our buildings more airtight reducing energy consumption at the detriment to the buildup of pollutants and uh, indoor chemicals so I think the two need to work hand in hand and like I said before we need to look at the bigger picture so at air rated we monitor indoor air quality, but we also take outdoor air quality data because there's a relationship between the two. And then that's our quantitative data set. And then we do site surveys to look at the qualitative. So the type of building use, uh, are there construction sites around, all that type of thing, because that's how we create bespoke solutions to problems. But I think looking at the bigger picture and the green industry looking at the bigger picture, so sustainability and health and well-being is going to be key. I think... Um for me, I think what we're going to find is that what is, some of this stuff has been nice to haves for now are going to come essential for any business's survival. Um, and the reason I say that is because I think there has been a democratization of access to this kind of data. So in terms of air quality, there are websites like Breezometer, who we work very closely with, where you can type in an address and it will bring up the air quality in that area and what the dominant pollutants are. You've also got wearables now, which will give you basic insights into air quality as well. And as soon as people start bringing these into their offices and their homes, it really doesn't matter if they're accurate or not. If they aren't getting the readings they want, they will make that a problem for the for the landlord or the business owner, whoever it might be. So I think that's why people should be getting ahead of it now and why it will become so prevalent as the technology improves and people are able to gain greater understanding of what's going on in their environment. I look look forward to that. Um, my fitness um, monitor and maybe having an air monitor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 The Bosch have developed a chip um, which has some, some basic um, gas sensors in it. So it will, yeah, it's definitely coming. Mm. Well. And I think like one massive thing investment-wise is... Buildings that are built to be healthier, from an like if you're a big investor, in, institutional investor, then the ESG is a massive play. So environmental, social and governance. Assets like that are going to be more investable. And I think even as an individual, investing in buying a healthy home, so a home that has been, has these carbon filters or has eco-friendly materials that's been made with, is, is a big deal because that is the type of building that's going to last. And finally, as young entrepreneurs, I'd love to ask you this this question about, you know, who else do you admire within this sector? 
my one, this is so classic. So anyone who knows me, this is going to be a standard answer. But um, Professor Joseph Allen. So he's the one that Nar mentioned before, who did all these studies into the impact of indoor air quality on our cognitive performance. And I think pre-COVID, indoor air quality or healthy initiatives, healthy buildings were a nice to have. And then there was an argument for the business case behind better indoor environments. So it was like, okay, now I have a competitive advantage because good indoor environments will increase productivity. And now that's been accelerated even further. And Joseph Allen's got really involved in basically like the preventative care side of things. So he talks about, with regards to COVID, a multi-layered approach. So you've got PPE, you've got social distancing, all of these measures, but also healthy buildings will be part of this multi-layered defense approach to things like pandemics. So I guess on the sustainability side, you're making a building resilient and future-proof to physical climate changes and the climate crisis. But from his point of view, it's also making buildings resilient to benefiting our health rather than harming us. From my side in the in the property world, there's probably, they're actually one of our clients, which is a company called General Projects. Two guys who I know there, Jacob Loftus and Ben Cross. And I really like what they do because they don't throw millions of pounds of money at buildings. They think creatively, how can they reposition this asset? Like they don't tear down the buildings, which is obviously very bad for the environment. They look at how, when they can, how they can refurbish a building sustainably, put the right technology inside it to make workspaces that just fantastic tech-enabled buildings, sustainably built and optimised for our health. And I just think if you can hit those three triangles, then you're going to make some really amazing buildings. So feel very lucky to be able to work with those guys. Francesca Brady and Niall Ingham, thanks so much for being our first guinea pig. Thank you for having us. (laughs) You're wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) That's all for this episode of Racing Green. Thanks for joining us. Racing Green is produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Chris Bristow, Georgina McGiven, in collaboration with the Camden Clean Air Initiative. It was recorded at Serendipity Studios, Camden, North London, with music and sound designed by Chris Bristow.